You're listening to the Do Re Mi podcast. You know what? Chelsea? What? You sound super crystal clear. Do I sound crystal clear this morning? I think our audio engineer just really went above and beyond. Above and beyond? Is there anything she can't do? I think she's probably just the mastermind of all audio things. And she's beautiful. Beautiful, (laughs) breezy, beautiful. Um, Girl, is that how it goes? Yes. Oh. I'm the audio engineer. That's Grace. Um, Not really. I just pressed a button. (laughs) But we are on a nicer mic today. Our last episodes, we're trying to get the audio figured out. Yeah, we're, we're finagling. We're... Twisting and turning, trying new things, you know, giving it a go here and there, um, struggling. It's not that easy. That's probably why people have jobs that are audio engineers. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out that you can't just be a Joe Schmo and get amazing audio without knowing anything. Um, so, yeah, we, I don't know, so you might have noticed in the last episode we kind of had a little bit of um, trouble with the audio at one point. Um, All five people that listened to our last episode. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening. Um but we did want to kind of bring it up that we are working on it, solving problems, fixing. That's just the kind things. of people we are. Um, and speaking of fixing things, we have a couple corrections from um, our last episode. Yes, we do. First, the most glaring correction, um, I repeatedly told the audience that the <laughs> Abbey, Nonberg Abbey, was founded in 1712. That is incorrect. It is founded in 1217. This is like my half dyslexia coming out. I feel like also I didn't catch that either, and that just shows how American we are. They were like, yeah, the 1700s, that was so long ago. I know, right? Yeah. No, this this thing's been around since the 1200s. That's cuckoo bananas. Um, And then one last thing we wanted to not necessarily correct but clarify, we did a lot of talking and pontificating about the Baroness and her role as a housekeeper slash maid slash who is she. Right, like what is her rank, all that stuff. We had a listener talk to us about um, <laughs> a listener you can just say your friend <laughs> i'm trying to sound a little bit more okay, legit sorry we had one of our biggest fans yes thank you nicole um there in connecticut she <laughs> <laughs> clarified some information about baronesses for us so baronesses are noble in like royal households but they're not as noble as like say a princess for instance um you don't necessarily have an income, and you are probably a little further down the line um, in terms of how royal you are. She's probably going to message me later and tell me that I butchered this whole thing. Yeah. Um, but no basically, it's more of like a title of acknowledgement um, so that you come from the royal family. Um, but you're not but, that royal. You still need a job. Yeah, basically. And so she was living – she was really well off living with the Von Trapps, but, you know, she was still – and she was a housekeeper, because what yeah. else would she have done? Right. And housekeeper, not in the sense that she wasn't the one cleaning the windows and, like, vacuuming, but she was, you know, <laughs> managing the household, you know. Yeah. It's more like a house manager, yeah. as we know it today. Yeah. I mean, do people have... I'm sure people have that. Yeah. The Kardashians have one. For sure. For sure. I manage my household. I don't get friggin' paid for it, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, anyway, welcome back. This is the Do Re Mi podcast. Everything you need to know about the sound of music. Episode three, we're talking about pre-production of the movie. We've gone over... All the other iterations before mm-hmm. the 1965 yes. classic. Yeah. Um, and then we talked about the real Von Trapp family. And today we're going to talk about the beginning of the movie. Yeah, everything leading up. So um, we ended episode one saying that 20th Century Fox bought the rights to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this was in 1962. So the president hired um, a writer named Ernest Lehman to write the screenplay. Um, and he is a, <laughs> um, 
So he has a pretty good, what's it called? Like credits? Yeah, or? he has like a, an impressive career up yeah. to this point. Well, he collaborated on um, writing Sabrina. Mm-hmm. He did the adaptation for West Side Story. I think that was probably the biggest reason why he was chosen to do this, because West Side Story was a play, and he did the movie adaptation. Um, and then this was after The Sound of Music, but I thought it was kind of interesting. One of his only original screenplays, because he was more into like adaptations, was North by North, North by Northwest, the Alfred Hitchcock movie. And then he also did another Alfred Hitchcock movie that I'd never heard of called Family Plot. I've I think heard it of was that one. Yeah. I think it was like a made for TV movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was kind of weird that he's written like horror movies, but then also did Sound of Music. Um, and the director kind of had that too. Yeah. Yeah. But so he wrote the screenplay. He changed um, the sequence of the songs and took some out. And he saw the German movie of The Sound of Music and didn't like it. So he decided to base like his screenplay off of uh, Maria's book in the play. Um, but he kind of thought the play was a little uh, cheesy, which seems to be like a common theme throughout a lot of people that were asked to work on the project. So he took some songs out um, and then they added some songs in, which we'll talk about later. But he, his original choice of director was Robert Wise, who he worked with on West Side Story. Um, but Robert Wise was doing another movie called The Sand Pebbles. And in my notes, I wrote, I have no idea what this movie, or movie <laughs> I've never heard of, but it's actually like an Oscar winner for Best Picture. Have you ever heard of it? It's I like, haven't. But I think there's tons of Oscar winning films, like from, you know, the 50s, 60s, 40s, that we would never know. But then the films that have become a classic over time yeah. have never won an Oscar. That's true. So Well, this was in the 60s. So anyways, it's some war movie um, <laughs> that I never heard of. Uh, so he couldn't do it. But there were some other options. <laughs> there were a lot of other options. One that I recognized was Gene Kelly from an, an actor in Singing in the Rain. To direct? Yes. I don't know. That's what the internet told Wasn't me. Wasn't Gene Kelly like a drunk too, like most of the time? I'm pretty sure he was. I don't know. I don't know anything about his personal life. Oh. Well, so I we... feel like you're kind of attacking him. <laughs> Um, but anyways, he ended up asking his friend slash director, William Wyler, to do it. And he has some pretty good credits. He did Funny Girl with um, Barbara Streisand. Oh, She yeah. won an Oscar for that. Wuthering Heights, Jezebel, and Roman Holiday, oh, which was Audrey Hepburn's first movie. Such a classic. And once again, Audrey Hepburn was up for the, like, role of Maria when... Paramount was thinking about Yeah. And I've seen this, and then, like, Gene Kelly from Singing in the Rain, there was, like, Ten actors in Hollywood yeah, and directors. That was it. They were like, "Oh, we have we've reached our quota for today." So, um, so yeah, he asked William Wyler, and Wyler went, flew to New York, and saw the Broadway play and didn't like it. Um, but Ernest convinced Whoops. him to do it, and he agreed. And they went to Salzburg to do like some location scouting. But um, Layman, Ernest Layman, uh, could tell that like he wasn't that into it. Um, but he was. Ernest had to, like, write the first draft of the screenplay, and he completed the first draft and sent it to Weiler, and Weiler had, like, no notes for him. Um, and and Lehman was like, okay, so he, like, obviously doesn't care about this. Um, so he gave a secret copy to Robert Weiss, the West Side Story director. <gasps> the drama. Yeah. Um, and then, like, later that month, Weiler, the uninterested director, um, asked if the film could be delayed because he was asked to work on another project called The Collector, another movie I've never heard of. Um, and Layman told him um, that he should just go and make the other film and, like, they'll, they'll make other arrangements. And then it came out that Robert Weiss, um, like, his project, Sand Pebbles, got pushed. So then he was able to agree to do Sound of Music. How convenient for everybody involved. I know. So Who is this Weiler guy? 
Um, I really know told he's you. done. Yes, funny oh. girl weather. <laughs> You're not even listening. I am. It is like not even. Oh, it is eight o'clock this morning. Anyway, yeah, I know. Good morning, world. It's a lot of white men to keep track of. Yeah. <laughs> um. So talk to me about Robert Wise. Okay. Why should I give a crap about him? Well, he has directed a lot of movies that you've probably heard of. Um, he won Best Director and Best Picture for West Side Story a couple oh, years prior classic. to this. Totally um, deserved. And then after Sound of Music, he obviously won um, Best Director and Best Picture for Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a f- film editor first, and he was nominated for Citizen Kane. Oh, that's I didn't know. That's really cool. Oh, Sand Pebbles didn't win Best Picture. It was just nominated for it. Okay. Um, so he directed all different types of movies. Um, before Sound of Music, he, he did West Side Story, then another movie, and then right before Sound of Music, he directed a movie called The Haunting, which is a British horror film based off of The Haunting of Hill House, which has now had a like renewal on Netflix, which right. we watched yep. and got this shit scared out of us. <laughs> um, so yeah, he... It's like all over the place. I know, like musicals, horror, what can he do? War films. But some people seem to think that... Um, he or they like compare him to directors like Stanley Kubrick and say that he's not very artsy and they call him a craftsman, which I feel like is an insult. Wait, <laughs> like, so Stanley Kubrick's not artsy? Is no, what no, saying? they compare him to Stanley, like being like, well, Stanley oh, Kubrick is a real director, like oh, Wes Anderson, because yeah. they have like this vision. Um, an auteur, if yeah. you will. Yeah, that's the word they used. Yeah. And I didn't know what that. Oh, it's meant. like a fancy word for, you know, artsy fartsy? Director. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> With a um, vision. So he's been he's gotten like some flack for that, but um, later um, other directors like Martin Scorsese says that yes, he was very like um, I don't know like not super fancy, but he was working within the confines of like the studio system, basically, yeah, and like major budgets and stuff. Um, but he was still able to make all these amazing movies across all different genres. Mm-hmm. Um, so according to Martin Scorsese, he is an artist and not <laughs> merely an artisan. Um, so, yeah, he uh, agreed to do the movie, and he read the screenplay, which reading the screenplay is what made him, uh, like, uh, Layman's first draft. He was like, okay, yes, I'll do this movie. He shared Layman's vision of the film being centered around um, the music, and he also agreed um, with his, uh, with the writer's desire to, like, make the film less sweet and cheesy than the musical. I'd be curious to know what cheesy means to them back yeah. then in the 60s. Because, I mean, like, everything about the movie is kind of cheesy. And I'm, I'm not saying that in, like, a negative way, but I just feel like it is a very family-friendly, like, yeah. rom-com from the 60s. Like, what else? But have you seen a musical recently? I haven't. I, it's been a lot. Like, the last musical I saw, like, on the stage was Les Mis, and that's not cheesy. No. Yeah. Um, I saw Wicked, and I have, I've listened to the Wicked soundtrack, and I love it, mm-hmm. and I saw the play, like, recently, and I'm like, oh, wait, this is, like, super cheesy. I mean, it's really good, obviously, right. but I can see, like, I just feel like the stage lends itself to that, um, kind of, like, overacting sure. in some ways. Okay. Because they have less to work with. I mean, they're just on a stage. Yeah. Um, and, like, when they wrote this adapted screenplay, they wanted to, um, like, take the, they wanted to really showcase, like, Salzburg and, like, um... You know, all that, all that jazz. So, um, yeah, it was, I thought this was kind of interesting. He had reservations about the opening sequence of um, Sound of Music because it was like an aerial shot, you know, that like helicopter <laughs> of Maria yeah, yeah, singing. Yeah. And they use that exact like West Side Story opens in a very similar way. Right. Um, so he like had reservations about it, but they were unable to think of a better way to do it. <laughs> so, um, so they just said, fuck it. Yeah. Aerial it is. 
That's so funny. Um, and then some of the so the songs they changed. Um, An ordinary couple. They changed it to a more romantic song. I'm guessing something good. Yeah. Um, and then they also changed the Maria's departure from the Abbey song and Hammers and or Rogers. Sorry, not Hammerstein. Rogers provided he, or he wrote something good and I have confidence, especially for the film. Oh, so I have confidence wasn't in the play. That's the song she sings. I when love she leaves that Abbey. I sing yeah. that. I sing that song to myself every morning. Oh, I know. Anytime I'm like nervous about something, I'm just like I have confidence in sunshine. Yes. Um, I really want to get an empty guitar case because I feel like that would really <laughs> it'll really like up your your image I yeah think. you know you could just come to work swinging it around like she does yeah and it's just filled with she, like yeah. gum <laughs> yeah I always thought she was super strong during that number because like you know yeah this massive guitar case and it's she's empty and she, it's empty but movie she's, magic baby that showbiz oh I loved her <laughs> dancing in that scene yeah so cute oh my gosh that scene is so good I know just her walking from the gate to the door she's so cute um okay so do you want to talk about the location more? Sure. So like Grace has mentioned a couple times, the one of the reasons they wanted to make this into a, a film was to kind of highlight Salzburg, the location. Um, but you know how they say, like, Salzburg is almost a character, like another character in the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, they don't say that about Sound of Music, but they say that about, like, you know. Other movies, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, so <laughs> that's basically what they were <clears throat> trying to do. Um so a lot of the film, most of it was filmed on location in Salzburg, but some scenes were filmed on a soundstage in L.A. Um, but location scouting in Salzburg began in 1963, um, and filming on location started in early spring of 1964. And they anticipated to spend six weeks filming there. Yeah. But Salzburg apparently has, like, a very heavy rain season. Yeah. And so they weren't anticipating to have to spend more time or to have to, like, whatever, deal with the, the rain. But there's so much of the film shot outside in, like, the mountains yeah. or the hills or whatever, or even just outside the, the mansion. Um, and so their, you know, schedule got pushed to, like, 11 weeks. That's almost double. I'm sure, like, the budget people were pissed about that. Oh, yeah. So there's they talk a little bit in some of the research we were doing about budgeting, but we can talk about that during production, like, our next episode when we talk about actual production. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the location scoutings, the settings had been chosen. There's a ton of different places that they picked. One of them was Fronberg Castle, which is a 17th century castle on the outskirts of the city. Um, and that was used for the front courtyard. Um, and today the castle is still there, which is really cool, and I would love to go visit it one day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, um, it houses students from the Mozart, Mozartium Music Academy. So it's a dorm the dorms here are never that, <laughs> that cool. <laughs> my When I was studying abroad in Italy, my dorms were really cool. But, like, you're living on, like, this avenue, and, like, you can see the Duomo, and you're just like, oh. I'm going to go enroll at the Mozartium Music Academy. <laughs> we should probably do that. We should just tell them we have a Sound of Music podcast, and yeah. we need to be here. We deserve to be here. We do. We can get our rich parents to bribe, say we're on the rowing team. Oh, that's a really <laughs> good idea. Um we because you know we live with gardeners and yeah. all that stuff, so, um, so another location they used was the Leopoldskron Castle, um, and that was picked for the lake and the garden and the terrace leading down to the water. So like that beautiful out back the backyard. So basically, you're saying the front yard and backyard are from two different houses. <gasps> That's exactly what I'm saying. But is the backyard like the actual? I wonder if the well, we'll have to research this. But like the back of the house is a different house than the front, or if it's just, like, the view of the lake and stuff is different. I believe it must be this, 
like a different house entirely because they're using the terrace, you know, and the terrace is connected to a house and we do see the back of the house and how the terrace is connected to the garden. Yeah. So I think it must be a different location. Two different. Yeah. Movie magic, baby. Yep. Um, (laughs) And so that castle where they shot the backyard stuff was, it now belongs to the Salzburg Seminar and is used for international seminars and conferences. So it's basically like you can run it out and like have your CBD conference there if you want. You know where they do conferences here? McCormick (laughs) Place. Like a (laughs) parking lot. Like an air-conditioned parking lot. (laughs) I'm going to move to Salzburg. We should go. Um, I do want to go there one day. I know. And do the sound music tour. I know. We should we should make that a priority. I kept reading on Reddit, like, people who live in Austria don't care about the sound music. Well, and like they're wrong. And, and people, there's people who live in Salzburg that's like, I've never seen the movie. I just see the tour buses everywhere. <laughs> Could you imagine, like... What's, like, an, something like that here? Nothing. Americans are so full of themselves. Yeah. But, like, what's a... I feel like a big movie that European... America, an American movie that Europeans like is American Pie. Because really? Every time I've, like, met, or uh, not every time, but a lot of times when I've met, like, uh, European people, they're like, oh, is America just, like, American pie with, like, parties and red solo cups? That's happened to me multiple times, so that movie definitely has, yeah. yeah. Um, Every time I've met a European, they're like, where's your cowboy hat? And I'm like, what? (laughs) Not from Texas, but, I mean, I don't know. My cousin moved to England because he married um, an English woman and I was like you should go with a like cowboy hat and cowboy boots and be like he's from Wisconsin but be like howdy y'all it's just me your friendly neighborhood he moved to like a smaller city too yeah your friendly neighborhood American yeah um okay so let's talk about choreography yes a husband and wife team Mark Bro and Dee Dee Wood what a name I know could you imagine being a husband and wife choreography I can. Like actually. you and Matt. <laughs> that would be a dream, actually. I've always wanted to be a dancer. They're probably really fun at weddings and stuff. I know. Or, they're probably... or they're the most annoying and they're like trying to steal the dance floor. And it's like, we get it. You can do the cha cha. <laughs> um, okay, so <laughs> they worked with Julie Andrews on Mary Poppins. <gasps> Amazing. Yeah. So then they were like, okay, we'll work with you again. I guess there is a lot of dancing in Mary Poppins. I haven't seen Mary Poppins in a while. Um, it's been a long time for me, too. Well, I guess you haven't seen the new one that came out? No, me neither. Although I do like Emily Blunt. Yeah, I like her too. Um, Okay, so they worked out the choreography, and um, they could not change any of the songs, like any of the arrangements, because it was like under contract with Rodgers and Hammerstein. Hmm. Like, you have to... That would have been dramatic. Yeah. Yeah, who who, who is this bro and Dee Dee Wood trying to change Rodgers and Hammerstein's, you know, arrangements? Who do you think you are? Um, So yeah, they didn't use the the stage choreography at all because it was too... um, Restrictive. They wanted to do things like outside, mm-hmm. and one, Do Re Mi is like one of the biggest right. songs that they changed. Like in the play, it's a very um, like static number. Right. I, I'm assuming they're probably just like sitting singing like as a chorus, but right. in the movie, it's like it's one of the ways that they show like the city and stuff. Oh, it's one of the m- most beautiful scenes in the film. I yeah. think. and like and. I've watched like a lot of behind the scenes stuff of sound music and the kids say that was like the hard like the part where they're jumping on the steps. Oh, yes. In the in the movie they mess up on that part. Yes, like and you can see it. Yeah. They don't like whoever's on the most right like misses a hop, but yeah. they probably did it like ten times or like whatever. This is good. I can't yeah. imagine teaching seven kids. Like the older one's fine, but the younger one But it was one of the older ones that messed it up. It was Louisa, I think. Um the blonde girl. Oh, was it her? Yeah. Um Brigitte. Brigitte. Yeah. Um yeah, and also, like, you have to think that they're they're filming on film, you know, like, yeah. that in itself is really expensive, and we'll talk again about budgeting, but, um, yeah, so, like, if you're shooting, trying to get this dance number right, and you're shooting at 10, you take 10 takes, 
how many feet of film is that? Yeah. They're like, all right, this we're is done. as good as we get. Yeah. I mean, whatever. It's kids, like, dancing in the park. It doesn't have to be perfect. I, oh, yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not. Um, and I also thought it was interesting. They choreographed the Lonely Goat Herd puppet dance. I love it. So they're not puppeteers. They had professional puppeteers, Bill Baird, which who is a famous American puppeteer. I'm sure you've heard of him. Oh, yeah. He's <laughs> – um, I research him usually every day. And his wife. Another husband and wife team. Hmm. Um, what are we doing? Maybe we should get married. This is our team. To each other. Yeah. Okay, but we're not puppeteers or choreographers. But we're podcasters. But maybe that's what we need <gasps> Yeah. We to should. get married, and then we can truly just dive into our yeah. craft. Yeah. Oh, I do take ballet. And yeah. You've been to a puppet show. I have been to a puppet show. Um, I've been to a couple, but I've been to one as an adult <laughs> with giant puppets, life-size human puppets, like, attached oh. to the puppeteer. It was, it was supposed to be, like, kind of spooky. Oh, we, we also saw Frankenstein with that weird life-size oh, puppet, yeah. remember? That's the new way. It's a baby. new thing. You gotta wear the puppet. Um, <laughs> that's the only way to keep adults interested in puppets, I think. So um, they choreographed the lonely goat herd, the landler, which I guess is the yodeler. Mm-hmm. Um, he does a traditional Austrian folk dance. I love it. So um, the puppeteers like produced and performed it. Cool. So if you think that Julie Andrews and all those kids were controlling those puppets, which by the way, when I was watching the movie, I was like, there's no way that they can oh. put together this like amazing <laughs> puppet show. Like overnight, like what's his name? Max Detweiler brings yeah. <laughs> brings them this massive puppet thing and then now they can suddenly do master master puppeteering. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, all right. So now we should talk about casting Julie Andrews because when Lehman was writing the screenplay, she was the only person that he had in mind for this role. And, I I mean, casting Julie Andrews is the most important part of the film, I think. I mean, we've joked around about how, oh, it could have been Audrey Hepburn, but honestly, like, they could have really casted anybody. Julie Mm -hmm. Andrews at this point was not... Well-known. Right. She's not the Julie Andrews that we know, like, this famous, beautiful, incredible, talented woman. I mean, she always was those things, but she wasn't popular yet <laughs> um but the the world didn't know it yet but um he did have he did have to put out like some other choices so he did julie andrews first and then he had grace kelly and shirley jones again grace kelly who's in an alfred hitchcock movie and now is going to be in sound it's like there it's like five actresses that have short hair julie andrews grace kelly i don't know who shirley jones is shirley audrey hepburn strange choice but i mean i don't know maybe shirley jones was more musical who is that? Do you know who that is? I can picture her in my, my mind's eye. Okay. Well, I can't get in there. <laughs> We've tried. <laughs> um, okay, so, yeah, so he was very, very set on Julie Andrews. He had seen her um, in a pre-screener for Mary Poppins. Like, Mary Poppins hadn't even been out, so she wasn't well-known at all, but he saw a pre-screener. Yeah, um, and he was like, we need her. Um, Before but- she gets... Huge and before like, she we can't up. afford her, yeah. right? Because after Mary Poppins, she she did win an Oscar for Mary Poppins. We were gonna save that for later, but <laughs> spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! <laughs> Something that happened like fifty years ago. Yeah, she did win the Oscar. So like he knew seeing her performance in Mary Poppins that she was gonna explode, and they needed to lock her in. Yeah. Um, so again, she had reservations about it being too cheesy and like too sweet. Um, but since the director and writer also felt that way, she like felt better about it, and she signed a contract with Fox to star in two movies for two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, which is the equivalent of one point eight million. Not too bad for like a, not being <laughs> yeah for not being anybody. Yeah. I, I'm like a nobody, and I'll take one point eight two million dollars. I think we all would. Um, so yeah, she had to sign it. She had to star in two movies. One was Sound of Music and the other was a movie called Star retitled Those Were the Happy Times. 
and it's a 1968 autobiographical musical film directed by Robert Wise, again, because he's surprise, apparently surprise. the only director. Um, and it's based on the life and career of Gertrude Lawrence. Um, I have never heard of this movie. I haven't either. Who is Gertrude Lawrence? At a British performer? Singer? I don't know. But I've never heard of this movie, um, so it's kind of funny that they paid her this much money. They're probably like, we're going to get two blockbusters out of her. Right. And maybe it was a blockbuster at the time, but it definitely yeah, does true. not withstand Obviously, the test of time. Yeah. We don't know what movies were. Right. <laughs> the Sand Pebbles, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I was looking up, I was like, man, what other 20th Century Fox movie did she do? And it was like Sound Music Star and then... Uh, the Tooth Fairy, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. I forgot she's in that. Oh, well, here, we can talk about this later, but she can't sing anymore. She can't sing anymore. Um, we do want to talk a little bit about Julie Andrews' career, like how she got to this point, because she was, quote, unquote, a nobody yeah. when she signed on for, I mean, Mary Poppins, and when she signed on for Sound of Music. Mm-hmm. Um, so Julie Andrews, was raised in, like, a performing family, but they were kind of, like, low-key performers. They, like, did, like, local things in their town. Yeah. Um, and she, in, like, 1945, in the next two years, she performed unbilled on stage with her parents, so she wasn't even, like, credited in these things. Yeah. Um, and so she, there's a quote when she kind of talks about working with her mom and dad. Um, quote, then came the day when I was told I must go to bed in the afternoon because I was going to be allowed to sing with Mummy and Pop in the evening. Um, and so she apparently would stand on a beer crate and sing into a microphone, sometimes oh. as a solo or a duet with her stepfather while her mother played piano. Um, she thought, like, she probably looked horrible, but obviously, like... She didn't. She... Everything turned out okay with her. Um, and in 1948, when she was 13 years old, she became the youngest solo performer to ever be seen in the Royal Command Variety performance before King George VI and Queen Elizabeth at the London Pallad- Pallad- Palladium? Palladium? She was in the Royal Command Variety performance? Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyone who's anyone. <laughs> Where's my invite? Um I mean, but that's insane. She performed before, at 13 in at front 13 of the, yeah. before, before the Queen. That's crazy. Yeah. But um, I'm, I guess it was before Queen Elizabeth was the queen because if King George was still alive. Yeah. But Queen, I guess, when you're, maybe when you're talking about, um, I don't know en- enough about royal families, but I feel like if you're talking about Queen Elizabeth, even when she was younger, before she was a queen, you would still refer to her as Queen Elizabeth. Nicole, can you tune in and let us know? <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, Nicole or one listener. No, just kidding. We have plenty of listeners. I'm we do. manifesting it. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, I really thought that was cool that she got to perform before yeah. the king and the queen. Like, just she goes was 13. to show how, like, talented she was. Yeah, I mean, do you know what I was doing when I was 13? <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> I can guess. <laughs> well, I wasn't singing before the king. I was putting sure. eyeliner on my lower lid and no mascara. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I was not singing. I was color- or I was, but I not I was well. coloring in my, um, my chucks with Sharpies. Classic us. Classic. <laughs> um, so on September 30th, 1954, on the eve of her 19th birthday... Um, Julie Andrews made her Broadway de- debut portraying Polly Brown in um, some play called The Boy Friend. Boy Space, Space Friend. Friend. Um, it's a highly successful London musical, according to the internet. Yeah, uh, I've never heard of it. Wait, she um, was turning 19 and starring in a Broadway play? Yeah. Well, this is back in the day when there were only a couple actors. Yeah, <laughs> so there's there, five, so. There wasn't a lot of competition, but that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, and then in 1963... She began her work on Mary Poppins. So she was more on the play scene, you know, in the West End in London and in Broadway. And 
when we say she was quote unquote a nobody, like people knew her on for the stage, but in terms of making her more widely accessible to the public and yeah. like you know the larger American audience, um, it was you needed to be in the film industry. I think she was also in Cinderella. Um, yes. that they broadcast like on TV. I've like, seen the, it. It's yeah. amazing. It's the Roger and Hammerstein version of Cinderella too. Which yeah. for our younger listeners, if you've ever seen the Brandy version of Cinderella, yes. that's Roger and Hammerstein's version of Cinderella, which Julie Andrews did in black and white live on TV. Before now they have like live. They did sound music live on TV. They did, and she was. I think they interviewed her and she said she was excited about it. Yeah, I wish she was in it though. I know. I wish she made a cameo. <gasps> she could have been Mother Abbas, but she can't sing the songs. No. Plus, Mother ha- Abbas was um, Audra. Oh, I forget her name. Tony Award winning. She was amazing. Oh. She like yeah. She's, I sometimes just I really, watch the YouTube <laughs> video of her it. singing the song. It's really good. Well, okay, we can talk about that later when we talk about the lasting effects of sound of music. Some okay. people didn't like it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah, she did Mary Poppins, and then she got cast Boom, baby. Sound, Sound of Music. music. Mm. Jinx. Okay. So, um, now for casting Christopher Plummer. Uh, they had a more difficult time casting this role. Um, he played the captain. Yeah. If you're not familiar. Um, if you're not familiar, then why are you even listening to this? <laughs> Get out. Casuals. No, maybe someone has never seen this movie and just likes to do, like, insane research before they watch a movie. True, yeah. Well, here you go. He was playing the captain. Um, so other actors that were considered for the part were Bing Crosby, Yul Brynner, Sean Connery, and Richard Burton. <laughs> Sean Connery would have been a, a mood for sure. I mean, I love Christopher Plummer as the captain, but yeah. like, there's something so inherently sexy about Sean Connery. Really? I don't, he might I, have been like no. way too sexy for the role. No. Well, I, I, Sean Connery's been ruined for me with Celebrity Jeopardy SNL. Oh, I don't know. You okay. haven't? Okay. No. We'll watch that later. Okay. Um... Yeah, I just can't take him seriously. But anyway, so Christopher Plummer had been on Broadway, um, and he turned down the offer a bunch of times, um, and then he flew out to talk to Wise, and uh, they were talking about the concept of the film, and he only um, agreed to do it if he could have a lot of input into the character of the captain, because he just didn't like the character, right? how he was he, he says in, like, an interview that, like, <clears throat> he was spoiled by... Sorry. <clears throat> So he says in, like, an interview that he was spoiled by acting in the theater, you yeah. know, on in the West End and on Broadway, because the characters were so much more dynamic, he felt, than film roles. Um, and so, like, t- he was also looking to move into film. Like, this was not his first part in the film world, but he was also an unknown, like, yeah. Julie Andrews. He had a couple smaller, like, bit pieces here and there, or, like, character pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was trying to make a bigger name for himself in film. And so he was really, like, trying to be picky about the roles he chose. But so I think that's why he was so, like, particular about yeah, making sure that the character was worth his time. Yeah. Which I feel like Captain Von Trapp is a great character because he's very, um, like, he's a good, uh, he's, like, a very good masculine character without being, like, toxic. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's very, like, you know, kind of like, serious and, and strong, but he also, like, stands for what he believes in um, and is, like, you know, he does that, like, little sm- Like, even when he's, like, trying to be stern, he has, like, that little smile. Yeah. So, and he's never, like, truly mean, you know? Yes. I think, and he, I think he really does have um, a lot of sensitivity to him. Yeah. Which he had. It's those eyes and that little smile uh, that he does. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's in the script, but it's partially because of Christopher Plummer, you know, adding that sensitivity of 
to his children and to Maria and like just being less of this like stoic captain from the yeah. navy or something. Although the real Captain Von Trapp wasn't super stoic. Like no, he was more he wasn't. but it, I think it was more interesting to have him be like more serious but then like kind of reveal his more sensitive side yeah. as the movie went on. Yeah. Um but yeah, in general he uh did not want to do this role and he uh described it as quote so awful and sentimental and gooey. Um he did not enjoy filming the movie except he he did like Julie Andrews. He loved working with Julie Andrews. Yeah. And who wouldn't? Yeah, I would. Um but he would avoid using the name, calling it that movie, S&M, and The Sound of Mucus. <laughs> he didn't attend the 40th anniversary cast reunion, but he did provide commentary in the 2005 DVD, which I've seen. Um, and then he did show up for the 45th anniversary and appeared with the full cast on the Oprah Winfrey show in 2010, which we should watch. We, I need to watch that, yeah. Um, yeah, he... He spends a lot of time in interviews, I think, fielding questions about Sound of Music because it's such a famous, popular, classic film. Yeah. Um, it's probably, like, what he's most well-known for. Right. You know, he's done, like, a ton of work, but this is, like, an epic level mm-hmm. of popularity. Do you know that movie that he he came in and um, they filmed, like... Oh, the one with the... He replaced Kevin Spacey? Yeah. Yeah. People said that? he did a really good job on that, and he's old now. Yeah. I haven't seen it, um, but that's the one about the Getty... It's the Getty family? No, right? no, no. Um, I just know that he, that was, like, his most recent thing. Yeah. I feel like he's been in Well, they keep thing. saying that there's all those memes on the internet that Christopher Plummer should replace all problematic people in yeah. all roles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he does a good job. Of, he's like, okay, this is how you can, like, still be a manly role but, like, not be a dick about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So he was bored with the character. He thought that, you know, they worked hard to make him interesting. But, quote, it was a bit like flogging a dead horse, and the subject matter is not mine. I mean, it can't appeal to every person in the world. Um, But he has admitted that the film is really well made, and he is, um, like, proud to be associated with it. Yeah. And he, he, well, this is kind of a nice quote. He said that um, it's a family movie, and we haven't seen a family movie, I don't think, on that scale for ages. Which is kind of true, because I feel like mm-hmm. The Sound of Music appeals, like, truly is not just a movie for kids. No, I think, like, yeah. adults, I mean, it's such, like, a well-made film. It's not, like, Cars. <laughs> right, no, for Nothing sure. Nothing wrong with Cars, or, like, Shrek, but which is very, like, kids movie. This is, like... For the family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so now we want to talk a little bit about cast and the kids, and there's a yeah. lot of them. So we're going to go piece by piece here, but I think you're interested, so stick with us. Yeah. Um... So casting of the children began in November 1963 and involved over 200 interviews and auditions throughout the United States and England. So the filming began in spring of 64. Mm-hmm. So this took probably just a couple months. Yeah. Um, and some of the child actors that were interviewed um, or tested but didn't make the part were Mia Farrow, Patty Duke, Leslie Ann Warren, Geraldine Chaplin, Shirley Fibares, Terry Garr, Kurt Russell, and the Osmonds. Could oh, you imagine the Osmonds? No, were, that'd ugh. be terrible. The only ones I recognize from that list are Mia Farrow and the Osmonds. Yeah. Um, Geraldine Chaplin, I think, and Kurt Russell. You know Kurt Russell. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow, that would have been weird. Any, he sings. I guess he does. I mean, I guess. He must. But anyway, so they didn't go with any of those people. Um, they, they didn't went, go with anyone who was known no. as, as far as the kids went. No, most of these kids were completely, like, off the street unknowns or were basically working in commercials or something or yeah. had, like, bit roles in different TV shows at the time. 
Um, so we'll start oldest to, and then go work our way down to youngest. Okay. Um, so Liesel was played by Charmaine Carr, um, who was a model mm-hmm. at the time she was casted and working part-time in a doctor's office. Um, and she had zero ambition to pursue an acting career, um, but her friend sent her photo to Vise's office um, because her friend was also a model and knew Vise somehow. Yeah. Um, You've never sent my photo to directors. You don't know what I do on my free time. <laughs> That's true. You might have. But You're I'm just not getting any callbacks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> um, and so Wise like, remembered this interaction and remembered thinking that she was so pretty and had such poison charm and that she was immediately liked by everybody in the casting process. Um, and she was, I think she was, like, in school to do some sort of, like, doctor thing, like mm-hmm. dentistry or something like that. And this was just kind of, she was modeling to make extra money because she was living in the city. Yeah. You know? Well, she lives in Chicago. Yeah. She's from the suburbs of Chicago. Which? <laughs> which is where we are. Well, not the suburbs. We're in Chicago. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she won the role over Geraldine Chaplin, Kim Darby, Patty Duke, Shelley Farbiz, Terry Gar, Mia Farrow, and Leslie Ann Warren. Yeah. She won this over Mia, which is insane and really exciting for her. Yeah. Um, okay, so Friedrich was played by uh, a guy named Nicholas Hammond, um, and he was actually 11 years old when he made his acting debut in Broadway on Broadway, um, and he was in a play called The Complacent Lover in 1961. Um, and... He was also in the film Lord of the Flies, which was his film debut. So he was, I think, probably the most seasoned, seasoned, <laughs> or like established of the kids. Oh, I, um, I want to rewatch Lord of the Flies and see if I oh, recognize yeah. him. It's, that movie came out in 1963. Um, anyway, so he took the role for Sound of Music in 1965. And I had heard, I'd read this somewhere that Friedrich saw Julie Andrews in a play when he was younger, and that's what made him want to go into acting. Right, which would make sense, because Julie Andrews started on Broadway, what was it, in 1954? Yeah. Yeah, so she was in 1954, um, and his Broadway play debut was in um, 61. Yeah. So he must have seen her when she just started in Broadway, yeah. which is really cool. Which is adorable, yeah. because then they work together. Oh, my God, circle. I love it. Um, okay, so Louisa was played by Heather Menzies, um, and she was actually... That's a really bad last name. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> um, she did have one screen appearance before Sound of Music, and she was in the TV series called The Farmer's Daughter in 1964, um, and I think she was just, like... An extra? Yeah. Um, or, like, she was, like, a minor, minor role. Yeah. Um, and she was 14 years old when she was casted, but and had no real acting experience other than that TV show. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times when they casted kids in these TV shows, it's just like, can you just stand there and, like, look normal? Yeah. Like, can, are you, do you follow directions? Right, like, yeah. can you be well-behaved for two seconds? Yeah. Um, so. Have you ever been on set with kids? Oh, all the time. It's terrible. It's horrible. And, like, the kids are, themselves are <clears throat> bad. It's working with the parents that's even yeah. more complicated because... And also, like, with the, all the union stuff, like, kids... They can only work for, like, certain hours at, like... Yeah, and, like, which is tutoring good. that needs yeah. to happen or, like, it's just but it's I, so complicated. I don't know. Kids are just nuts, especially, like, kids who want to be actors and then the cameras are on and then they're just, like, so hyper. And yeah. Like, yeah. We had this one kid on set once where um, he... We were shooting in, like, basically an abandoned house mm-hmm. and this one scene was taking place in the garage attached to the abandoned house. And the garage was, like, probably not up to code or, like, at all safe for us to be filming in. Yeah. But we were filming in there, and we had the whole thing set up. It was cluttered. And 
we had like a bunch of C stands set up and he just couldn't stop running in circles, running in circles. And we told him multiple times, Diego, please stop running. You're going to hurt yourself. Please, mm-hmm. please, please. And his mother's like, stop running, stop running. He's not stopping running. And he runs smack dab into one of the arms of the C stand and cuts his forehead open. And um, that was fun. Yeah. And anyway, so then his mother like threw a huge fit and it was like, well, mm-hmm. your kid sucks. <laughs> so um, anyway. Kids are fun. Yeah. All right. On to Kirk. On to Kirk. Kurt, his actor name, no, his real name, yeah. <laughs> is Dwayne Dudley Chase, which is such a good name. Yeah. Um, and he started acting commercials when he was 11, um, and he also did some modeling work, but that was basically it. And then yeah. after Sound of Music, he did nothing. Yeah. We'll talk about what the kid actors are doing in our, yeah. like, post, or not even post, our, like, where are they now episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I feel like none of them really went on to... No, I think... The, like, huge actors. I mean... Right. Um, So I think of the the kids, like, Brigitte was the one who went on to be the most... Isn't it Brigitte? It's Brigitte. Oh. Yeah, Marta, Brigitte, Marta, Brigitte, what? Louisa. It's Louisa. Okay. Um, Brigitte was played by Angela Cartwright, and she was three years old when she played Paul Newman's daughter in Somebody Up There Likes Me, 1956, which is interesting to me because I love Paul Newman. I think he's very attractive. Um, you he, like his salad dressing? Yeah. Do you know do. all the, he just like made salad dressing like for fun for his friend and they were like, you should sell this. And he's like, okay, I'll sell it and I'll put my face on it, but all the proceeds go to charity. Yeah. Yes. Nice guy. Nice guy. Um, this episode is sponsored by Paul Newman. <laughs> <laughs> Please send us your salad dressing. Thank you. Um, so Angela Cartwright, again, who played Brigitte, mm-hmm. she also appeared with Rock Hudson and Sidney Poitier in Something of Value in 1957. Um, and her family, I think, was more of like an acting family because her sister is Veronica Cartwright, mm-hmm. um, who has been in films. Oh. Like, so many films that you know, one of the films being Invasion of the Body Snatchers and Alien. Um, and so, like, their family kind of is... An acting family. Yes. Acting um, so, but they were from, I believe, the United Kingdom, um, and they moved to the United States, and she was, Cartwright also appeared for seven seasons on a TV series called The Danny Thomas Show. Um, yeah, and she was cast as Brigitte in... Well, it says that she went, she returned to Europe and was Bri- Brigitte um, in the Sound of Music play. Oh. In 1965. Oh, yeah, Yes. So she's like, I got this one role, baby, <laughs> and I, I can play it. I believe, is Brigitte the blonde that messes up? No. that's Or a, is it Louisa? That's, oh, I don't know. We should probably know. No, Louisa's the one who likes to read, isn't it? Or no, that's, maybe that's or is that Marta? Okay. Oh, God. Well, you know, it's a lot to, to keep track of. I know. We've got a lot going on in our yeah. heads right now, guys. Anyway, we're going to move on to Marta. Marta was played by Debbie Turner. Um, and she was active in television commercials as, as well as, like, her siblings. So, okay, like, another acting family. Yeah. My family never acted. I know. Although I was in a commercial. You were also in a movie. Yeah. Do you want to tell them what movie you're in? I'm in Marley and Me. Um, if you watch the scene with uh, when they're dog training at the park, my mom and I are walking in the background. We're out of focus, but <laughs> she we're She was there. an extra. Yeah. Wow. Well, I was also in another scene of that movie during the montage. I'm, like, folding... Um, when he's talking about, like, Hurricane Andrew relief, 
Um, I'm folding clothes. And that's, like, a really close above my face, but it's only for two seconds. That's so cool. Yeah. So I'm also kind of a movie star. She's I could famous. get, like, with my credentials, I could get cast as a child in Sound of Music. <laughs> <gasps> yes. You just need to model and be in some commercials. I was in a commercial for the hospital that my mom worked at. Wow. I was, like, in the background in a treehouse. It was pretty fun. You should get that commercial and, like, blow up your face really big. I'm I, like, I we used to have it, like, on, this was back in VHS, so we That's used funny. to have it because we used to, my sister was in it, too. That's funny. Yeah. At least, my sister had, like, an actual, like, not a speaking role, but she, it was, it was for the hospital. She played, like, um, a sick kid with the IV tower. Oh, wow. And she was, like, rolling down the, um, that's kind of the hallway with a nurse. She was happy. Oh. It was, like, uplifting. Oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah. that sounds morbid. <laughs> And then at the end, everyone in the commercial dies. <laughs> Surprise ending. Um, okay. Gretel was played by Anthea Kimberly, quote unquote, Kim with a Y, Karath. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Kim started her acting career at age three, um, and she appeared in a film called Spencer's Mountain in 1963 with Henry Fonda and Veronica Cartwright, which is funny because Veronica's younger sister, Angela, played B- Brigitte with her. Again, <gasps> there are like <laughs> 10 actors in Hollywood yeah. at this time. Um, she also acted across Doris Day and James Garner and Jack Lemmon in, like, a bunch of random films before she took on Sound of Music. Um, yeah. It makes sense that she would have the most, um, like, since she was the youngest, yeah. I feel like they really wouldn't want to pick, like, some completely unseasoned, like, five-year-old actress. Right. No. She, and she's so cute in that yeah. movie. Except her English accent is terrible. Yeah. Hello, father. It's my first party. <laughs> I hurt my finger. She was cute, though. She was very cute. No shade. Um, <laughs> we love you. Um, the last person we want to talk about is um, Daniel Truheit, who played Rolf. Nobody really cares about Rolf as a character, but um, Daniel was technically a child actor. Yeah. Um, and he began... It's interesting because he didn't really have, like, a an acting career necessarily, but he was in dance training from the age of six and took uh, voice lessons starting at 10. And when he was 15, he received a scholarship to the Sacramento Ballet, um, which I think is kind of interesting. And after he, oh no, we can talk about that later, but he did Sound of Music. So he was more more like a dancer. Yeah. But then he became an actor because he got a scholarship to go to Pasadena Playhouse after high school. Mm -hmm. So he was pretty, like... Uh, had a lot of credits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we want to talk about... Wait, which makes sense, because I feel like he had to do a lot of actual acting. I think so. Because the other characters were, like, I mean, for the younger kids, like, really, I'm sure each, since there were so many kids, they shared, like, so many lines and stuff. Like, right. Liesl obviously had to act a lot. Yeah. But he had to, like, portray a young boy who decided to become a Nazi. Right. And I mean, of the kids, I think like everyone under Liesl, like was, they were just kind of like caricatures yeah. of children. Yeah. You know, like archetypes. They didn't really have personalities. Depth. Necessarily. And this is not a criticism. It's just the reality of yeah. being a child actor and like not having enough time to, I don't know, spend coaxing out well, performances. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't do character development for, like, all of those. <laughs> right. No, they couldn't. Okay, and then there are a few other additional characters that we want to talk about. Yes. Um, Max. Max Detweiler. Um, you know. He's, like, the good old Max. Is he gay? I feel like it's I implied. Think they're, and they're trying to yeah. imply that. Like, he's a, a bachelor, you know, kind of, like, living, and, like, his best friend is, like, this really rich, beautiful yeah. woman. Um, I think they're trying to imply that he is maybe gay. Yeah. Um, 
So Wise initially considered Victor Borg, uh, Noel Coward, and Hal Holbrook, among others, before deciding on Richard Hayden. Um, and that's all I have on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, the Baroness is a little more interesting. Yeah. Though. Baroness Elsa Schrader. Yes. Um, so they wanted a, like, a name actress. Um, Julie Andrews and Plummer weren't well known at this time. And she was, or Eleanor Parker is who was cast to play Baroness Elsa. Uh, she was a Academy Award nominated actress. Mm-hmm. Cage, Detective Story, Interrupted Melody, three movies that I've never heard of. Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's again, amazing that there's these movies that all these people are nominated for and we've never even heard of Maybe them. we just don't know anything about. <laughs> I like to think I do know stuff about films, but, like, this is sometimes kind this of... This has really been eye-opening for us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's kind of interesting because when I was watching the movie recently, I re- I noticed, like, in the... First of all, the opening sequence of this movie is so long. Like, it the is. opening credits. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have, you know, everyone's... They have... I don't even know if they have Julie Andrews' names, but... They do. It's like the, the credit cards, basically. But... The front. Uh, um... What's her name? Eleanor Parker has, like, it says Eleanor Parker as the Baroness. So yeah. she has, like, her own title, title card, card is what you call it. Yeah. So I was like, who, why does she get that? But it makes sense. Like, at the time, she was probably, like, who they'd be like, oh, come see her in this movie. Right. It's part of the deal, you know, part of, like, she agrees to be in the movie if she gets her own title, title card, card and her own trailer and she gets to be on the press, you know, route or whatever. So all these And things. little did she know, little Miss Julie Andrews would outshine her no I'm sure she was nice yeah I mean (laughs) I'm just like projecting her character although I have to say like the Baroness is an interesting villain because yeah she is kind of like rude for telling you know kind of like manipulating the naive Maria to be like oh the captain's in love with you but it happened in real life it did um but at the end I feel like she kind of gives the captain an out like when he's breaking up with her yeah she and I don't, she's like, actually, you know what? This isn't working for me. I'm just going to leave. Yeah, and I think, like, she's a woman who knows herself. Yeah. She knows what she wants, and she's going to get it. And, like, she's not doing anything purposely. I don't think she's trying to purposely hurt Maria yeah. in that scene. I think she's looking out for herself. She's kind of rude for wanting to send all the kids to boarding school. It's like, don't marry a guy who has seven kids then. Well, yeah, there's But maybe there are not a lot of <laughs> options in Salzburg, just like yeah. Hollywood. <laughs> right, exactly. She's got, like, one other guy she can talk to. But, I mean... Again, I can't fault her for, like, potentially falling in love with this guy, the captain, but, like, not wanting to have kids. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's complicated, but I, I couldn't fault a woman for, you know, who she has feelings for and but still not wanting to have kids. It's complicated. Yeah. Anyway, so all I'm saying is we should stop hating women. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the moral of today's episode. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's it for the pre-production. Next episode we will talk more about actual filming, some fun filming trivia. Some fun <laughs> facts for y'all. We got some things lined up. Some things are brewing, so get excited. Yep. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for, thanks for listening. I was going to say watching, but then I realized. Thanks for watching us in your mind's eye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, stay tuned. We'll be back next time. Yep. All right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.